Did you bring in more than just your songs this morning? Just your attendance? Just your being here? I hope you brought in your, your whole heart, all of your affections, your whole mind, your kids, every little thing. Well, we are, uh, we are in the middle of our re-envisioning series. It's a series where we are taking a, a fresh look at the purpose of our church, which we said at the very beginning is not just the purpose of our church, but it is the purpose of the church, the church universal, God's church, his people. It is therefore then the purpose of each of us as individual believers and followers of God. And so we are tracking through it. We have finished up our first section, our, our first priority, our first purpose, and that is our relationship to God. We are now moving into our second priority, our relationship to each other as the body of Christ, our relationship to the head, number one, and now the relationship to the rest of the body and how we work that out. Last week, we really opened it up and, and really just said, it's not easy. It's not easy. And when we all come together in our sin, uh, there are problems and those problems are to be expected. And the fact that there are people in the church means there's going to be there's going to be a mess because we all come with our own mess. And that is the difficult part of the church. But remember, we said that is also the genius of the church for as God, who alone is able to bring us all together and and weave together the tapestry of our lives to make something beautiful out of the mess. He gets glory in the midst of the diversity, making unity that that only God could create so that when men and women see us as a body of Christ, they say there is something divine about that. We don't see unity among such diversity anywhere else but in the church. That's at least how it should be. Right. (laughs) That's at least how it should be. It should be that the world takes notice of this organization called the church whether they really know what we're about or not, whether they believe in our God or not, but they take notice of this, this one diverse organization that seems to be able to get along and, and move along and act and work together and carry out our responsibilities together and, and minister together despite our differences. It's really a picture of what we'll find in heaven. All nations, tribes, and tongues coming together, not just with our apparent differences, but with our with our with our heart differences and with our attitude differences and with our different ideologies and with our different stuff that rubs everyone else the wrong way, we, if anywhere in the world, should be able to say, I'll deal with it. All based on the, pro- the premise of our initial relationship to God. Remember we said at the beginning of last week's message, as we move into the second part of our, of our philosophy of ministry, as we move into the second part of our church's purpose, We have to keep in mind that without the first part, the rest is just going to be our own doing. And we may do well for a while, but we will, before long, we'll run out of juice, we'll run out of energy, we'll run out of power, we'll run out of the ability to put up with each other. It's only in light of the grace God has given us that we're able to be gracious among each other. Does that make sense? Yeah. So as we move into this this second of our priorities... Uh, I could really, frankly, choose from a, a myriad of texts to teach this priority from. In fact, I don't tell you all the time throughout the year that uh, some of the texts we go through, well, frankly, every one of the texts, every one of the messages we preach from the word throughout the year, whether we say it's our vision series or not, okay, every one of them could be tied to one part of our vision. 
And hopefully you start to notice that, that over time, week after week, after we get out of this re-envisioning series, that no matter where we go next, you know, on Christmas Day, and I do, a, you know, maybe a, a special just for Christmas, and we stop our series, etc., some way that, that Christmas message, if it's founded in Scripture, is, is tied to one of these relationships, our relationship to God, our relationship to the world, our relationship to the lost, or to each other and our relationship to the lost. It always connects and I hope that uh, as, we, as we track through this vision series, after we're done with the vision series, you start to make those connections. You start to notice, you know what? The, I work best among my family when I am rightly related to my God. Priority number two falls in line better when I'm, when I'm doing number one. And I hope you start to make some of these connections. I, I could have chosen a number of passages to teach through this second priority. We're going to use Proverbs, all right? Um, Next year, when we, when we go through our vision again, and we're going to do that probably on an annual basis just to, just to keep it fresh in our minds so we know what path we're on and why we're here and why this church exists and what we're doing, uh, we might use an entirely different text to teach through what is the purpose of the body of Christ. How do we, how do we get along? So it may come in a different angle next time. This time we're going to use Proverbs. If we're going to use Proverbs for the... For the body of Christ and our examination of, of how we're to act together, uh, we got to understand what the book of Proverbs is for, right? I mean, and we got to understand why there is a book of Proverbs, who wrote it, and, and, and what the original intent of it was. The major theme of the book of Proverbs, if you had to put it in a word, would be the word wisdom. It is to grant us wisdom for our, specifically, our daily living. Our daily living. Uh, the book of Proverbs has very little, interestingly enough, it has very little to say about eternal matters. Have you noticed that? It has very little to say about what is to come past this life. It is primarily focused on our day-to-day matters of how we move along and get along here on earth. And it's primarily geared towards the church and how, how we get along, not just with each other, but also in relation to the world and in relation to our, to our God. Its focus is this life and the living of, of it that brings from that a glory to God and a satisfaction to us that only God can provide and then an impact out of those two, an impact on our world. Uh, what are Proverbs? That's where we've got to start. What are, what are Proverbs? It's been said that Proverbs are short sentences based on long experiences. Right? You catch that? They're short sentences, pithy statements that are learned out of long experiences. Who better? Who better than Solomon in his vast experience? If you've led, read Ecclesiastes, this guy, he did it all. He tried it all. He sought every way to satisfy his soul apart from God so that he could strike it off the list and provide wisdom to the rest of humanity and say, I've tried it all. And you're not going to find satisfaction there. You're not going to find contentment there. You're not going to find peace there. It's all vanity. It's all, it's all worthless. Go to God. Go to God. And then he puts together this, this collection of pithy, short sentences based on a lifetime of wisdom. A lifetime of experience. The Latin word proverb literally means uh, pro instead of verb words. Instead of words. It's the idea that instead of writing a book about the subject, 
Instead of giving a formal address about the subject, I'm going to give you an easy way. I'm going to give you a short way to remember a principle of life that will serve you well on a day-to-day basis. Uh, you got to understand that the Hebrews, uh, the majority of them, the vast majority of them, unless they were very wealthy, kings, princes, etc., they didn't own books. They didn't, they didn't carry a, a library, a collection of scrolls where they were able to document all of these things. To a large extent, they had to memorize what they wanted to recall. If they wanted information to impact their life, if they wanted to be able to remember it and recall it, they they actually literally had to memorize it. They couldn't just set it on a shelf and refer to it as a reference book anytime they wanted. And so Proverbs were designed to teach a huge amount in a short time. Something that you might be able to memorize, something that a child might be able to easily memorize as a parent would pass on God's commands to their children so that they remember them at all times. You would use a proverbial statement to take a life lesson from someone like Solomon, the wisest man who has ever lived, and and narrow down his life into a statement you might be able to remember. That's what a proverb is. Key verse of these Proverbs, of these maxims for life, might just be in the first chapter. Turn to Proverbs chapter 1. Verse 7 is repeated throughout the book of Proverbs in many ways. But it's first seen in verse 7 of chapter 1, and it may be, by many scholars' uh, estimation, the key to the whole book. Proverbs 1 verse 7 says this, The fear of the Lord... Is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and and instruction. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The word beginning there, it refers to the chief start. It's It's the starting place. It's the jumping off point. It is, in essence, the best place to start. It's where you have to start. It's the required place to start. It is the chief part. Of gaining knowledge. You want knowledge? You want wisdom? Well, the beginning of it, the the chief place to start for gaining wisdom is back in the first phrase. What was it? The fear of the Lord is the chief part of wisdom or knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Now, that word fear is often uh, in our day uh, misunderstood. Fear does not mean a slave's fear of his master, but a child's fear of their parent in a positive way. It's a think about it this way. It's a it's a reverence or a respect or an acknowledgement. Of God as creator and us as his creatures. Right. It's our respect, our reverential acknowledgement that God is who he says he is. And that's the easiest way to put it. Uh, This phrase, the fear of the Lord, is used at least 18 times in the book of Proverbs, and so it needs to be understood if we're going to understand the book of Proverbs. The fear of the Lord is the idea that, that you know in your heart that he is who he says he is, he's done what he's said he's going to do, and now... Listen, here's the here's the practical part of Proverbs. Because he is who he says he is and he's done what he said he'll do. He's trustworthy. I ought respond to him in obedience. Because he is who he says he is. 
The fear of the Lord, that acknowledgement, that respect, my reverence for him ought to change my life. That's why that's why saying in our hearts and in our minds, this this God, this Jehovah, literally, he is exactly who and what he says he is. He is the creator of all the universe. And as such, it only makes it only makes practical sense that I do what he says I should do. To not do what the creator of all the universe says would be foolishness. That's why the fear of the Lord, the acknowledgement of God as God, is really the chief part, the beginning of any, any wisdom or knowledge. You're not getting anywhere on your own without that acknowledgement. That leads me to a clarifying thought and an end to really this introduction of, of, of the book of Proverbs itself. Uh, Proverbs is, um, it is a collection of maxims, if you will. But it is, and here's the important part, here's the clarification part. It is um, the collection of maxims divinely inspired by God. Okay? Um, Put another way, God put this through Solomon. God collected these pithy little short statements that teach a life's worth of wisdom. God put this together. God saw fit that these chapters, these verses, these statements, these nuggets of wisdom, these principles for life, God saw fit that they be included. Now, why do I say that? Uh, I'll confess to you that um, that I have received many, (laughs) uh, many of these coffee table Coffee table proverbial books. You got these? These little, they're really, usually really small and they got a cool cover and they got really big, really big type inside uh, so that they take up as much space as possible. And it's basically a proverb and then it's somebody's quote on it or something like that. And there's one for every occasion, right? I mean, I've got, I've got dozens, literally, and I've given away a bunch that I've gotten and I've passed them along. You know, proverbs for graduates, proverbs for postgraduates, proverbs for singles, proverbs for young marrieds, proverbs for you people who've been married for a long time, proverbs for, for parents, proverbs for uh, kids. Pro- you know what I'm talking about, right? All these books, there's, there's a proverb book out there for everybody. One of, these, one of these small coffee table proverb books out there for everybody. But the problem here is this. I think that's become, in my mind at least, they've become so prevalent out there, and they're like a dime a dozen, that we start to we start to lose the fact that God has inspired these maxims for life. I mean, they're not just a collection of, you know, some guys, you know, ramblings of nonsense and uh, you do this and life will turn out better. So as we start here, I've got to remind us, God put these together. It's not just a coffee table collection of man's thoughts on life. This is what God would have us know about the living of our life from day to day in righteousness for his glory, for our satisfaction and for the impact we will have on our lost world. Um, More than that, you know, I I have this uh, (laughs) I'll admit I have this kind of personal bitter root uh, against um, I don't know what you might call the uh, well, the, the worthless and really weak, pithy statements of men. And we're really good at these, aren't we? 
I mean, there's there's books out there, not just spiritual books, but there's proverbial books out there in every line of business for every, you know, for every category of life. You know, we as humans, we're good at writing these little these little nuggets of truth and we think they're just genius. Okay, (laughs) and I have just this little personal just they just it just kind of irritates me. And in confessing that I've realized it in myself, uh, I, I lump all proverbs in with that. And I forget that these aren't just these aren't just a collection of pithy, you know, helpful principles from some guy. God has collected these and he's divinely inspired that these principles for life, which, by the way, never contradict each other throughout the entire book, which the most of our proverbs do. Most of men and women's proverbs end up contradicting at some point. God's never do. So I say that to say, um, please don't please don't let the book of Proverbs um, become a book best left for the toilet room. Okay, because that's where we put all those little proverbial books. Right. All right. Um, There are consequences to ignoring the wisdom of God. Right. There are consequences. Uh, If I had a dime for every time that I have shared the gospel and I've gone through the whole deal, right? I've, I've, I've went through sin, and, and, and people have told me, yeah, yeah, I'm, they've confessed, yeah, I'm, I'm a sinner. I, I get that. I've lied. I've stolen. I've, you know, I've, uh, I've coveted, et cetera, et cetera. I get through that, and then I get through, uh, this is what God has done for you. And I'm expecting, as I'm telling them, all of what God has done for them to overcome their debt of sin. I'm expecting to find this brokenhearted But instead, you know what I find all too often? I find hard hearts, not based on any of the information I've shared with them, right? Because they could be nodding, yeah, yeah, I get that, I get that. But all too often I find hard hearts at the end of those conversations, and maybe, maybe you've run into this. And they start going into, when I'm expecting them to say something about, about this, about this weight that I've, Placed on them and that God has allowed to be taken off of them in grace. That, that this, this is a weighty deal. All too often they come back in that, in that moment where I feel like their heart is going to be softened to the gospel. They come back with something like, well, I, I, would never, I would never want to be a part of a church. There's just too many hypocrites down there. And I remember growing up, that church down there my parents went to. And boy, oh boy, I remember the deacons outside smoking the whole service. They were never even in church. You ever hear this? You ever hear this kind of stuff? And they're stabbing each other in the back of that church. I don't really want any part of that church. And I haven't said anything about the church. We've been talking about sin and we've been talking about our, our, our need for grace. That it left to our own, we're condemned. And now look at what God has done for you. I've not said anything of the church, but you, remember, but you know what's on the forefront of their mind. It's, it's you and I and our goings on in here. That have distracted them from the gospel or unfortunately nullified grace completely in their minds. It's like their minds and their hearts aren't able to go to the grace of God because we are in the way. I was thinking about our purpose this morning and I kind of think of things in pictures, etc. And we have this three part purpose. The, the church has this, 
this three-category responsibility, right? Our responsibility, our relationship to God, our responsibility to each other, our relationship to the body, and then our responsibility to the world, the lost world, to, to get them from here to here, right? And as I, as I thought about that, this is, this is silly, but as I thought about it, these guys over here have to look through us to the relationship we have with God that they don't have. They've got to, they've got to view that relationship to our God through us. And how unfortunate that is all too often because of what's going on in here. (laughs) Either individually in our lives because we've got so much junk in our lives that we cloud that view. Or collectively there's so much trash going on here that they can't see past that. And so when I'm over here or when you're over here pleading your, your case for the grace of God, it's like the grace of God is... Is of no effect because all they can think about is their experience of the body of Christ. Um, our love for each other says something. Remember I said last week, it says something about our, relation, our love for each other. It says something about our love for our God and our relationship to our God. And it says something to the lost world. Put another way, the lost have to look through us to our God. I hope that picture sticks with you. When I was in college, um, I had a couple friends on the uh, football team. There was about a hundred of us on the football team. There was probably half a dozen confessing Christians, uh, maybe more, but they weren't telling anybody. I had a good friend who uh, still a friend to this day. Uh, this was one of the, the hardest things I ever, I ever had to hear from a friend and a brother in Christ. Uh, there were times in my collegiate life where I was not walking the apparent Christian life. And uh, we would hold each other accountable. And and one point in my career, uh, collegiate career, uh, there was a time when I was I was looking anything but like the Christian I was professing to be in FCA and dorm devotion night, etc. And uh, my buddy knew this; <laughs> he knew it. And after a while, uh, he came to me in love, and I'll never forget. He came to me in love, but with a, a piercing truth. And he said, hey, you're, Daryl, you're a Christian, right? And I'm like, yeah, okay. You know I'm a Christian. Why are you asking that? And with, uh, with all the love he could muster, but as straight as a brother in Christ can give it to you, he said, hey, will you quit telling people? You see, I was, <laughs> I was helping this guy with FCA. He was the president of FCA, and I was helping him with some dorm devotions in our football dorm, just a bunch of football players trying to, trying to bring grace to them. And uh, my life was kind of scattered over here. And I was, you know, every now and then I, would, I, was, I was just off. I was way off at times. And in one of those times, he, he, he hit me hard. And, and as I think back, man, that's, kind of, that's a hard. I don't, know, I don't know that I recommend that type of counseling, okay? Um, but it stuck with me to this day. I mean, I, I've had people... You've probably had people, supposed brothers and sisters in Christ, that uh, if you had the guts, like my buddy, you would like to say to them, hey, please stop telling people that you're a believer. At least while you're going to live like this and do this and, and not, not acknowledge your, your God as Lord, please stop telling, me, telling people he's your Savior. Man, that's... Uh, that's a hard word. Unfortunately, um, 
unfortunately, all too often, we feel led to say that to some people who, who are professing believers. Why? Because this, this in here has gotten to be such a mess that it's misrepresenting this and it's, it's nullifying what we're trying to say over here. And so we might just be better off not telling anybody we live in this family here. It's interesting that God chose the image of the family, isn't it? That God chose the image of the family as the picture he wanted to paint of the body of Christ. Not only are we his body, he chose to use the analogy of a family. That we are a family. Here, here's why I think it's interesting. It's great. It's a great picture, right? It's, it's a genius picture, once again. But here's why it's difficult. All too often, it's family who drive each other the most nuts. Right? Don't amen too loud at that point. It's family, right? I mean, where does the, the worst strife often come? Not among friends, but among the closest of family. It's, a, it's odd that God would choose the family as the picture. My mom's one of five kids. And uh, over the years, as I look back onto uh, her family... Uh, It's been uh, decade after decade of these three are talking to this one, but this one's not talking to these four, and these two are talking, but these two, you know, about kind of what I'm talking about. Some of you have families not too unlike uh, mine. Uh, I think my mom was the only one I honestly could say, and I'm not just saying this because she listens to all my messages. uh, (laughs) I think she's probably the only one in in the history of our family, as I look back over the decades, that, that she was always in communication with all of them. Uh, my grandfather, I loved my grandfather. My grandfather was uh, one of the best men I've ever known. He taught me, he taught me things about character and, and manhood that no one, no one ever taught me. My grandfather was awesome. But my grandfather could hold a grudge better than anyone. He was an expert at holding a grudge. He would write children off. He would write his children off. He would not speak their name for decades. Honestly, luckily, by the time of his death, uh, all the children were speaking and, and, and he was acknowledging that all of them were actually his. Except for the fact that I know I know it to be true that uh, every night he prayed for each one of his children by name, even the ones he disowned. But that, that's the testimony of the family, isn't it? Isn't it odd that God would call us to be in a family? <laughs> because the families were where heads hit. I mean, this whole Thanksgiving season for many of you is is not a season of peace and rest, but it's just expected strife. Are they going to be there? Oh, jeez. All right, kids, we got to go. We got to do it. Let's go. But listen, Uncle So and So is going to be there, and, and, and these are this is family, right? It's amazing how offended family members can become with each other. And uh, do I even need to talk about in-laws? Probably not, right? <laughs> family is one thing. Family by marriage is a, is a whole other minefield, isn't it? And as I was thinking about it, you know, that God calls us his family, that he, he uses the analogy of us as family. Um, although in one sense you could, you could see us as family by blood. Right, by the blood of Christ. Um, the practical picture is that we are we're family by marriage. Right? We're all in-laws with each other. 
That's the truer picture of what God has called his church to be. Now, genius, crazy, ridiculously difficult. Let's call a bunch of people who don't who don't look like each other, who don't come from the same backgrounds, all nations, tribes, tongues, creeds, colors, whatever, whatever differences on the surface you can think of. Let's put them in a room together and then let's let's think of them as in-laws as well. And let's see how they get along. And then let's say that they're getting along. They're living it out, walking day by day, has something to say about their God and their relationship to him and something to the world. You understand the importance of where we are. Proverbs 18:19. Why don't you turn there? Proverbs 18:19 is where we're going to start our survey through Proverbs. This verse is wisdom's warning to the family of God. It's wisdom's warning to the family of God. In the New American Standard, it says this. A brother offended is harder to be won than a strong city. And contentions are like the bars of a citadel. Now, what you need to understand is this is military language. Some of you recognize the word citadel. It's a military training facility here in our country. It's where we get the word citadel. It's a castle. Okay? So the proverbial statement here, the wisdom of a lifetime... That is, that is narrowed into a sentence, into a short maxim, is this. You offend a brother, someone in the family, and bars go up in their life. They turn into this impenetrable castle at least in their heart and in their mind. And they become, the picture is, like a strong, fortified, walled city that you cannot penetrate. All right? So what's the truth? What's the life lesson that Solomon has dwindled down in here into just a few words? It's what we all know to be true, that among family among the body as family. When an offense comes, and the inference is that offenses will come, we need to understand the danger is that the offended party or even the offending party often resort to putting up walls. right, And not just small walls, but walls like the walls of a city that can never be overthrown. Bars on, on a building that's like a castle. And the image here is a warning. This proverb I give you as a warning. You allow offense to come into the family. You allow there to be an offense. Understand that it might be a long, hard road tearing those walls back down. Let me give you another proverb. Proverbs 17, 14. Flip back a page. Proverbs 17, 14 says this. The beginning of strife is like letting out water 
So abandon the quarrel before it breaks out. Here's a picture. It's a, it's a small hole in a dam. You get a small hole in a dam, it's easily repairable while it's small. That water continues to come out, it will erode that hole. Eventually, the whole dam breaks loose. And what do you get? You get a flood. You get a flood that was just a leak to begin with. What's the life lesson? In a picture, what's the life lesson? If an offense is brought among the body of believers, please understand that walls that seem impossible to break through might very well go up. That's the warning. Part two of this, if you want to find another proverb is, stop the leak in the beginning, lest it becomes a flood among the family. Now, there's nothing huge and theological about all this, is there? It's practical wisdom for our living among each other. But don't forget, it's important enough that God divinely inspired it to be in here. So as we talk about living this place here together for the sake of this and for the sake of that, and what's at stake here, I give you, I give you a couple initial proverbs as we start this study in Proverbs. If you allow an offense to take place, walls go up, man. Bars go up on hearts, on minds, and family can all too often become the most, most stubborn, hard-headed to repair issues with. Amen? So what's the point? Don't, don't, let it, don't let it happen. Don't let it happen. And when there, is, when there is a crack in the wall, repair it early before it devastates the whole system. All right, let me give you another one. Proverbs 19, 23. This is maybe one of my favorite Proverbs. Proverbs 19, 23. I'll take you back to the fear of the Lord to finish this message. And um, you could apply this proverb to many, many different situations. Man, if you were in prayer breakfast, I think this proverb applies to, to our topic this morning even. Proverbs 19.23 says this, The fear of the Lord, there's that statement again, leads to life. And the, the idea there is, is not just, that you, not just a physical life, but it's the idea of a content and satisfied and fulfilled life. Because Proverbs is not just about God's glory, and it's not just about our impact for grace on the world. Proverbs, you've got to understand, is God's book to us to say, I want you to live a satisfied life in obedience to me. He wants, he wants us to have an abundant life. The fear of the Lord leads to life so that one may sleep satisfied, untouched by evil. As I think about it, if I could, uh, if I could pray one thing for our church, for our congregation, in this, in this category of how we get along and how will we get along, this verse probably is the best one for me to pray. Because what this verse says is, what we've been saying all along. That our acknowledgement of God, our willingness to be obedient to our creator, our willingness to revere him, our willingness to say he is who he says he is, therefore I'll do what he says do. That fear of him, that kind of acknowledgement of who he is that leads to my obedience, this passage says, that brings me the life that my heart longs for. It brings me the satisfied, content, righteous life. 
All right? So that, now look at what my life looks like. I end up sleeping satisfied, untouched by evil. Um, Some of you have lost nights of sleep due to strife, an offense, a conflict with a family member, either a, a real family member or a church family member. Some of you know what it, what it means to lose a night's sleep because you have been the offender. Some of you know what it means to lose a night's sleep because the Spirit of God is working in you to such a degree that, that you can't even rest at, at night in peace. Because something in what you did or said or an attitude you had has become an offense to a brother. And instead of you living in an attitude of fearing God, acknowledging him as creator, he is who he says he is, I'll do what he says to do, that would lead me to a life of peace and contentment and satisfaction. Now I don't have that and I'm not sleeping satisfied. I'm not untouched by evil because I've allowed evil to creep up in to a situation among family, and now I'm, I can't even sleep. Some of you are losing sleep because you are the offended party. Um, let me say, I, there's, this, worth, this verse is worth meditating on because I think it, it speaks to many different angles. To the, to the offending party, it challenges where our focus with God is. To the offended party, okay? Some of you have been in that position, maybe recently. To the offended party, I read this and I say, I want to sleep satisfied, untouched by evil, but evil has touched my life in an offense in the body, in the family, and God, I just can't sleep. There is a peace that God has recently and continually uh, revealing to me in this verse, that even for the offended party, this verse holds true. That as the offended party, if you, if as far as I would say it depended on you, you have lived in with peace among the brethren, right, New Testament, if you have done your part, and there is an issue, evil has crept up and touched your life, you may still be able to sleep satisfied knowing that you had no part in the cause of that offense. Does, does that make sense? There is, a, there is a peace that comes in this verse to the guy who is living, to the lady who is living in such a relationship with God that your relationship leads to an abundant, satisfied life for you so that even when there is an offense upon you, you may sleep satisfied, untouched by the evil that has come. And it comes. You can read Acts 15, Paul and Barnabas. I mean, these are Bible characters, right? Paul and Barnabas split ways because they couldn't agree on Barnabas' cousin Mark going on a trip with him because Barnabas had ba- uh, Mark had bailed on him a time before. And so Paul says, we're not taking this guy. He's bailed on us before. And Barnabas, sticking up for his cousin, says, yeah, I'm, he, he's going to go. And it says, that they, it says that they parted ways. They agreed to disagree, would be kind in saying. The idea is that they, 
they were completely on a different page and they couldn't work together anymore. And they said, we got to go different. We got to go different ways. And Barnabas takes Mark with him and, and, and Paul gets a new partner and he goes his way. It's interesting. Later on, though, you get indications from um, Colossians and Timothy that, uh, that Paul had resolved this issue with Mark himself. At one point, he says to uh, one of the other churches, if Mark comes to you, remember what I've told you, that he is useful. Welcome him as a brother. Second, Timothy. He tells Timothy, pick up Mark, for he is useful to me. Strife comes. Um, it can be devastating in the family. If left unattended, it can ruin the whole thing. But it can be resolved. And I think the resolution comes in the individuals living the Proverbs 19.23 out. The life of a fear of the Lord that brings satisfaction so that I might sleep at peace knowing that I've done all I can do. As far as it is dependent upon me, I'm at peace with all men. And even when evil comes... I'm untouched by it. Well, next week we're going into a uh, special family worship, fifth Sunday family worship service. And uh, we're not uh, going to take a break from our series, but we're going to have a a family Thanksgiving service. And uh, you're not going to want to miss that. And I'll explain more about what that means next week. But it will help us, I think, in navigating through this minefield that is living together as in-laws. Amen? Yeah, because there are, there are important things at stake. Let's pray.